Sequence is loading. Do you know your briefcase is smoking? Tis the season, Brad. Bubble, bubble, toil, and so forth. This is a law firm. Thank you for that. Denny Craig. All right, everybody. Walk and love. Or shine your shoes. Beg your pardon? You heard me. Shine your shoes now. Get up! From Forest Green Studios, the home of Boston-Legal.org, you are connected to Boston Illegal here and now. It's a story of stop loss. Descent versus disloyalty, Wiccans, Christians being harmonic, and flamingos somewhat pretty in pink. It's Sunday. It's November 6, 2005. It's a few days after Boston Legal Tuesdays. I'm Dana Greenlee, and you're listening to Boston Illegal. It's the unofficial weekly audio experience of Boston Legal, which is the David E. Kelly-produced television show shown here in the U.S. on ABC with the help of 20th Century Fox and, of course, David E. Kelly's talented production staff and the actors, of course. Today's Boston Legal Radio is essentially a conversation about the sixth episode of Season 2, entitled Witches of Mass Destruction. If you're listening to this podcast, you likely downloaded it from one of our many places that we're now in, like iTunes and Odeo, Odeo Odeo.com, and Yahoo, which is at podcasts.yahoo.org. Or, of course, you could have just gone to Boston Legal and clicked on the play button on the homepage or the podcast page or just downloaded it from there. Either way, anyhow... We're happy to be in your ears. With me now is a special guest co-host. <laughs> He's rolling his eyes. First, I wanted to say Kyle is unable to be with us this week due to a basketball tournament, but we have someone equally as qualified. His name's Rob Greenlee. Same last name. Yeah, there's some relation to you, I think. <laughs> this man watches Boston Legal with me and every other television show we watch and pretty much sleeps with me, so... <laughs> <laughs> so I have a very inside connection to what's going on with BostonLegal.org, that's for sure. And if you're a long-time listener or went back and listened to some of our older shows, he, you did a couple of podcasts with us. I think I did your first two, actually, yes. didn't I? Yeah. Yes, from season one. You should, If you enjoy his voice now, go back and listen. Rob's been around the podcast community and radio for a long time. Well, and so he, have you. Jeeps. You've been doing it as long as I have. Yeah, well, actually longer, but... <laughs> well, in a different venue. In yes. a different venue. Yes. But uh, back in 99, you started Web Talk Radio mm-hmm. and have been doing a weekly one-hour tech show, um, actually syndicated across the country and then heard around the world, of course, on on the internet and via podcast. In fact, I think... Uh, now, what is your real interesting credential? Why don't you share that? Well, I guess... Web Talk Radio was the very first um, broadcast radio program in the world to become a podcast. So that's right. That's our, our interesting distinction. Go to Wikipedia, look up podcasts, and you'll see his name in there, our show, Web Talk Radio. All right, enough of the petting of oneself. <laughs> um, hopefully, we'll have Kyle back from his basketball tournament next week. If not, we'll, we'll have another co-host. I mean, that, that's another common aspect between Kyle and myself is that we're both basketball. Well, I'm a former basketball player, but he's an active one. But you're a coach now. And Rob is six foot eight, nine? Something like <laughs> that. I, he's a tall The scales man. don't go that high, so I don't really know. <laughs> now he's a pretty tall drink of water. Happy to have him. Feel very protected. 
All right. We're going to move on to the actual show, but we want to remind you that you can uh, contact us at bostonillegal at gmail.com. And if you feel so inclined, we'd like to hear a your voice. And we just might play it on the show. You can do that by calling 1-800-986-8290. That's toll-free in the U.S. Leave a voicemail. You won't actually talk to us, but it, but just be known. If you're going to leave a voicemail, it it's implicitly accepted that you will be on the show. So, hey, Daniel, what, one thing I wanted to ask you real quick before we jump ahead is, uh, why did you name the podcast Boston Illegal? Is there something illegal about the podcast <laughs> that you do? Well, you know, it's that sort of trendy bad boy thing, of course. Uh, it's always nice to be illegal versus legal. That's well, that's fun. true. It's cooler. And, you know, it's a, it's a play on, of course, the fact that Boston is legal and we're not. <laughs> and yes, I'm unofficial. So, y'all, listen, I'm unofficial. I've not been sanctioned or anointed by David E. Kelly in any way, Not getting before. paid to do this. Not paid at all, costing me lots of money. But we hope to maybe one, one day. Well, yeah, we it's always life and ambition to earn money at what you do. <laughs> but also, you know, it's just unofficial. And a lot of people have been sort of assuming that there's some connection there. With, with You'll listen to some of the calls we get later, and there's not. So I can't pass on your wishes to James Spader. I cannot suggest storylines to David E. Kelly. Sorry. Just a quick rundown of what how the show will progress. Um, it's a very exciting episode. We'll deconstruct the episode itself, which is of mass destruction. We'll then move into a little bit on next week's episode, which is called Truly, Madly, Deeply. We'll spend a few minutes talking about what we now call the parallel universe, which is Trek in the courtroom. This seems to pop up a little reference or two every episode. And we'll merge then into the Boston Legal News of the Week. Not too much this week, but some. And then we'll take your calls and your emails. Well, let's take this by storyline, Dana. The, Denise's Wiccans versus the Christians versus school. Boy, that's quite a quite a court battle. <laughs> and Alan versus the military and the firm's Halloween party and the balcony, of course. And we will not have Kyle's review of the good, bad, and the ugly We won't. This year. No, but it'll be written and posted on the website. Well, I can do a shadow one. <laughs> okay, the shadow one. It is an illegal podcast. I uh, also wanted to mention this show was directed by Jim Bagdanos. And it was written by, no, not David E. Kelly, for the first time in season two, not written by the man himself. So he took a vacation? Uh, yeah. He, well, I think he's working on a, as oh, I understand another he's, project. He's huh? working on a movie that wow. will star his wife, Michelle Pfeiffer. But I don't know if that's why he didn't write it. But it took three people to replace that one man. <laughs> so the, it was written by Lawrence Brock, Andrew Kaisberg, and Michael Reese. Sorry if I didn't pronounce it quite right. Well, let's start off the discussion of the episode with the Wiccan versus the Christians versus the schools. Now, Wiccans and Christians were not exactly opposed to each other. They set aside their differences for the greater good, which I thought was an interesting term because that was one of the episode titles from season one, the greater good. But um, they decided to take a case against, bring a case against the school for allowing a Halloween party that was offensive to both the Christians and the Wiccans. And mainly because the school principal took great delight in many, many years of dressing up as a, a witch in a, you know, I guess a derogatory, you know, stereotype of witches. So let's let uh, Denise and the assembled plaintiffs explain it in their own words. It promotes a specific religion. Ah, Shirley Schmidt, Grace and Bob Matthias. They're uh, uh, the Christians. And Evelyn and Sam Sautel. The witches. Wiccans. Sorry. 
Uh, as I understand it, the four of you want to stop the school celebration of Halloween. It's satanic. Uh, that's not the position we're taking. I mean, we're not allowed to have a Christmas concert because of the whole church and state thing, but every At year... At our children's school. A public school. Paid for with our taxes. They have a Halloween pageant. It's a pageant, is it? Where not only are images of witches prominently displayed, but the principal of the school dresses up like a witch. And she cackles. She cackles. Blood-curdling cackles. We find the whole thing horribly offensive. Because, Miss Schmidt, as a Wiccan couple, it's hard enough raising our daughter in this culture without stereotypical images holding her up for ridicule. I mean, I ask you, are we green? Do we have warts? And as a Christian couple, we resent having our faith marginalized while Satan worship is openly... Witches don't worship Satan, Grace. Promoted. Specifically. It's unfair. It's defamatory. You can see, while both couples are on the same side, we have competing claims. Oh, but we're putting our differences aside. For the greater good. Yes. <laughs> All I can say is that if I was the attorney on that case, I'd be extremely confused. Oh, yeah. Well, in... Denise seemed to have it pretty squared away. Shirley was a little like, and you're bringing me in, why? The senior partner? Oh, it'll be fun. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of issues there and a lot of interesting banter and discussion about uh, how Halloween fits into the picture of things. And let's talk a little bit more detail about that. Well, as they pointed out, they, you know, schools, public schools don't celebrate Christmas. So there's some holidays they do. If there's any borderline religion aspects to it. Now, Halloween, I guess that was their point. Was there, is there a borderline religious reference? Is it intolerance? I think that's what Shirley boiled it down to is just a matter of intolerance of, of certain groups of beliefs and people. Someone wrote me and said that it was kind of a interesting. She had actually, had, I guess, had some exposure to Wiccans and maybe sort of somewhat involved in the past. And this person that wrote me, not me. And she said that uh, she didn't find anything particularly disturbing or bad about the stereotype. I guess it was a, little, a lot of chatter among the Wiccan community that maybe they were really worried that they would be more stereotyped. She said the only stereotype that she kind of saw was that the Wiccan couple were portrayed as sort of hippies and the christian couple were yuppie straight-laced kind so but i don't know i don't think that's such a bad stereotype to have maybe there was a a funny comment in the courtroom scene of course they're really big on demonstrating things in the david e kelly courtroom so whether it's singing or in this case they had the witch come in with full costume i should say the principal and do her cackling and swooping and uh, she did it with gusto a lot of drama there, that's for sure. It was it was actually very entertaining. And well, scary. It, well, and at one point they actually brought what the kids in, yeah, uh, all dressed in their Halloween outfits. Yeah, I, I think for the closing they wanted to, yeah, exactly influence the judge somewhat. But the <laughs> the attorney for the school for the principal was kind of like having a a little nervous breakdown as she was getting a little too into the the role of being a witch and just you know kept trying to calm her down and rein her in a little bit because everybody was pretty freaked and he finally just says okay okay counsel just uh stipulates that she's as scary as all get out <laughs> that was pretty funny <laughs> she was another real shocker i thought was in the testimony of i think it was the christian couple the the father the the husband got up and was um talking about how public schools he wants to keep his child in public school yes he could put him in private school but but he characterized public schools as being very um, lax in some other areas that didn't fit with his beliefs. And he actually, the kids talk about bitches and pimps and hoes and oral sex for a dollar. And it was, I guess I was kind of like, what? You know, I was listening to this. Is this public school now? 
Oh. Well, yeah, it was a very complicated um, um, court case because you had all these competing interests and people um, have this view of um, that they want the, the school system to be conservative and to reflect their values. And um, and it's so difficult for the schools, and I think this is a classic example of the schools to be everything to everyone. And and it's uh, really impossible for them to do that, especially when you start bringing in religious beliefs into the the schools like this. And and Halloween definitely walks that line. You know, I you know we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, as we play f- further into this. But um, the the line that the schools walk by celebrating like a Halloween or something like that, where it does kind of have an implied, you know, that there's this kind of satanic connection here. So, you know, I think that these people had a had a point, but it, it's kind of interesting how the episode or how the court case ended up. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that here. Well, and Wiccans, as was, I was educated a little yeah. bit from the couple that were the Wiccans. They said it's all about nature. It's the law of threes. It's the energy that you put out in the world is what comes back to you. And I kind of thought, well, that's kind of golden rule-ish, you know. This mm-hmm. is, there's, if that's really the case they don't worship Satan and stuff, then there's not a huge divide between the two. I mean, I personally adore nature, so. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was interesting to see Judge Resnick back. Let me just take an aside to talk oh, about the judge. he's a great character. He's well, yeah, he's, he's been around a long time with uh, David E. Kelly's shows. He was actually, last season, he was in episode three, Eye for an Eye. He was in episode five, my, one of my favorites, It Girls and Beyond. Yeah, and I think he was in uh, the Ali McBeal uh, series as well. I think I remember seeing him in that. Um, not that I saw on, no? on, on IMDb, but, but maybe I was wrong on there. He was actually in <laughs> one of my favorite movies from my young adult, you know, teenager time was Pink Floyd, The Wall. <laughs> I thought, this is great. The judge, you know, was in The Wall, the movie. Um, and, uh, I have been going through a little Pink Floyd vibe lately. So. <laughs> he was in LA Law, which was David Kelly's first, I believe, oh, okay. uh, law series. And he was a judge on CSI, and he's been on Alias. And this is interesting. He was on not of Star Trek Connection, not only Enterprise or Deep Space Nine, but he was also in Star Trek Next Generation. So he's been around. There was a part in the episode that I thought was good. It was kind of like the closing, and Shirley gave it. And she read, she pulled out a book, and actually got a few emails about this. Where's What's the name of that book? Where can I find it? Who, who again was it? So she read an excerpt about intolerance, and I'll play it here for you in a second. And it's actually written, it's a poem written by Martin Niemöller. It was in a book, at least the book she held up was The Persecution of Religion. And uh, it was written in 1946. You can find it online. Actually, if you go to the website, go to the episode page, I link to the full text of it. What this case is really about is tolerance. Whether it's Hindus attacking Jews or Muslims against Catholics, Christians fighting with Wiccans, the aim of the law tolerance. And I could be wrong, but I don't think we ever ratified persecution under the heading of fun. Let me read you something by Martin Niemöller, a German pastor who opposed the Nazis. In Germany, they came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me, and by that time, there was no one left to speak up. So true. That's all I can say. That's uh, that's probably, 
you know, a reflection of reality, most definitely. Yeah. Well, I think, remember last week, uh, Denise's case against the auto manufacturers, Shirley advised her, you know, people don't care about other people's problems, they only care about what affects them, and that's the tax she took then. And this is actually kind of interesting, because they're saying, if you you must care about other people's problems, or the intolerance that other people face, or persecuted. So, good message. We can always hear more of that. And it was a pretty, pretty moving quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to wrap up the storyline, shall we explain what happened after that closing? Yeah, I think we should. Well, Judge Resnick listened to it all very carefully, but did come down on the side of the school. He rep- he let the uh, Halloween pageant go on, as always. He says he advises both parties to lighten up and remember that Halloween, what it's really all about is the candy. <laughs> well, I think that's what it's evolved into. That's not what it originally was, but <laughs> but I think that's what the modern society embraces. Evelyn Sautel, which which was the uh, the Wiccan mother, uh, at the end, turned to Denise and said, uh, "Listen, I'm tonight's uh, Sanhine. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's what we call Halloween." She says, "They're having a women's circle after the celebration. It's a full moon. It's perfect for letting the energy of the goddess heal yourself and restore you. And you really need it. I'll fax you directions." <laughs> and Denise, you know, she's heard this before from Mrs. Sautel. She's a little bit um, taken aback, like, "I'm not harmonic. I'm not harmonic." <laughs> and she turns to Shirley. I'm harmonic, aren't I? Shirley's just really worried about it. (laughs) Looks at her. Yeah, Denise is not harmonic. (laughs) No, she was pretty rattled during the whole episode. Actually, every episode, actually. The other major storyline, the only other major storyline, and the one that got a preponderance of the attention, wow, did it ever, we'll cover now. And that's Alan versus the military. I mean, in a sense, he was taking on the United States government. Now, it's not possible to sue the military for the death of a soldier. But it is possible, perhaps, to bring a complaint against them for misrepresenting facts or um, fraud, I guess, is what mm-hmm. I think yeah, he was kind of talking about. Yeah, that's what the case about. was. Yeah, it was about how the, the military was misleading their recruits, essentially, into uh, becoming soldiers and promising th- things to them that they didn't fall through on. Now, let's, uh, let's let Cassie go ahead. Cassie is the paralegal whose brother was killed over in Iraq. Let's let her explain what happened. My little brother Jeffrey signed up for the National Guard. He fulfilled his service contract in Iraq. He was supposed to come home. The Army kept him there under the stop-loss program. There weren't enough soldiers on the ground, so they put him in a position that he never trained for. It got him killed. I realize, as a matter of law, that the army is immune from these suits. There is probably no way to win this. That's why we came to you. You um, have a high success rate for unconventional trials. That's only because the conventional trials won't have me. What are you looking to gain from this? I'm not sure. I go home and cry every night until I start to scream. just want someone to hear my screams. Cassie's played by Tamara Feldman, beautiful woman, and I would like to see more of her, but I don't know how much more, but it does look like she and Garrett do have a friendship mm-hmm. forming, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, she kind of said she just wants to hear wants people to hear her screams, and that actually is how it ends. Is we'll play, get to that in a minute, but um, where Alan hopes that people did hear her screams. 
Well, and also one of the things that I thought was interesting about the dialogue in that was um, Alan Shore saying that the conventional cases don't come his way, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case or has been my experience, but he he is very talented, at least in the episodes of handling very unusual cases, I should say. Yeah, well, I remember that episode where Paul Lewiston called him into the conference room, his office, <laughs> the conference room, and asked him to take on, you know, a dubious sort of ethical dilemma case, you know, where you'd have to play a little dirty pool. And yeah, that's sort of his role, I guess. <laughs> but he does it well. This episode created an awful stir uh, from a political perspective, too. Um, you know, a lot of the fan sites just got hammered with people on both sides of the issue. It was it really turned into a one of those Bush versus the liberals um, banter, banter discussion about, you know, if you're against the war, you're unpatriotic and un-American. And, and it got pretty ugly from even on, on boston-legal.org. You got quite a few people posting in there yeah, well, angry at the episode and there was people that were supportive of the episode and it really is a f- reflection of how divisive our country is and a reflection of the show because they did show both sides and i thought personally i thought they should showed both sides pretty even handily yeah i thought they did too i think that some of the people that wrote in that said that they didn't that they were the conservative mm-hmm. did not like how the conservatives were portrayed i.e via denny i mean I, you know this is maybe a little bit of a slant there but we definitely hang in to the very end of the show because we're going to play some of those calls. We're just going to play the unadulterated phone calls that I got that were of the negative slant. Yeah. You can you can see what I had to listen to. Well, and you can make your judgment for yourself. I yeah. mean, and that's really what this boils down to. And we're not trying to jump on any particular no. side here. We're just saying that, uh, you know, this country is very divided on this issue about whether or not it was wise for us to go into Iraq and whether it's wise for us to stay. So and that's really what it's about. Let's listen to Judge Clark Brown now. He's actually Henry Gibson, which I thought was interesting. Henry Gibson kind of got his, uh, became most famous, I think, from being on Laugh-In back in the 60s, playing like a peacenik. You know, he was always walking around with the flowers and the daisies and, and peace signs and stuff. But here he is, I think, somewhat of a conservative judge. You be the judge. In 26 years on the bench, I have never seen a case so ridiculous. It nauseates me. Your Honor is being a little dramatic. He was a soldier in a war. What's more, he enlisted. Private Elliot's tour of duty was over. He should not have been in Iraq. He enlisted in part because he was fraudulently recruited. Moreover, the Army then put him in a job for which he was not trained and which resulted in his death. Move to dismiss. The United States Army is immune from this Not to claims based on fraud, which this is. What if the families of every soldier killed in combat decided to sue? We have a logistical nightmare. Fortunately, we're only dealing with one person suing here. And if you're predisposed to kick it, so be it. But at least take an hour to hear from a couple of witnesses before doing so. You have a legacy of unfettered fairness, Your Honor. Please do not tarnish it. Oh, yeah. Alan. Pandering to the uh, judge, huh? You pay the court costs. Two o'clock. Good job. Alan has remembered a page from Denny's book. Remember Death Be Not Proud, last episode of first season. Uh, judge Clark Brown was the presiding judge in a case against a nymphomaniac. And <laughs> Denny was brought up the Nancy, Nancy Pansy defense. That's basically where you kind of persuade the judge or imply the judge is, a, you know, he's still living with his mom. He doesn't really get around with women. So, you know, he's kind of like shaming him into giving this woman another chance. This is a little bit like that. Yeah. Uh, later on, the judge does wear, just, just so we all know where he stands, he wears a red, white, and blue tie. Now, I, Boston's a blue state, right? 
I mean, I'm sorry, Massachusetts is a blue state. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know why he was sort of pandering. And so is Boston. But, red, yeah. yeah red, well, John Kerry. Yeah. But uh, I guess he just, Judge wanted to make a statement that he was a little uh, more on the conservative American red, white, and blue side, I suppose. And both sides are, of course. Well, I think that you can be patriotic and be a Democrat, too. So I, Absolutely. I, 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 I mean, I think, it, I think it's on both sides of the coin. And I, I think people, I mean, for some reason, the flag has been hijacked by the right. Um, in their perceptions that somehow if you're patriotic, somehow you, you're you on the right. And if you're not patriotic, you're on the left. So it's unfortunate. I'm telling you, Rob is a total, I mean, I'm holding him back from being political because the man watches the TV news shows all the time. I mean, you're like a hardball, meet the press, well, news, Well, everything. the thing is, <laughs> I I watch programs on both sides of the issue. Yeah, I don't, I don't um, differentiate too much. I mean... I don't like when conversations is too divisive. Yeah. Well, just as a way of showing that David Kelly had both sides clearly in mind, I'm going to play you a clip from, well, as you probably know, if you've watched the show, Brad, Chase, and Denny are both conservative. They both served in the military. Brad's up in the Marine. And so they take that side. And I actually loved how he put it. I mean, I don't, you can't find any fault or wrong in Brad's take on things. And it reflects that side. And I, Anybody that wrote me and, and said that it was an unfair, unfairly liberal biased on the show, I just said, look, do you have a problem with how Brad was portrayed? Because that moved me the way he said it. Let's listen in. He actually got a hearing? Don't ask me how. Well, what did he say? You two have anything else to do? Um, we're discussing a case, sir. It's not a case. It's an abuse of the judicial process. Yes, we're discussing that. Go shine your shoes. I beg your pardon? You heard me. Shine your shoes now. And how's your grooming? I think fine, sir. Go to work. It's fun to pull rank, isn't it? What you are doing is an arrogant dismissal of that young soldier's ultimate sacrifice. And as somebody who served in the Gulf War, proudly, when you disrespect our soldiers, you disrespect me. I don't like it. And Alan wasn't glib for once. He just kind of looked at Brad and, I mean, didn't have a comeback, thank goodness. Yeah, Brad was very much being a soldier there, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. (laughs) Lieutenant Brad Chase. (laughs) (laughs) Directing the young associates. Shine your shoes. Well, and... (laughs) You know that that's an interesting perspective on kind of Brad's role of late is that he's he's like coming in, being like that associate partner and keeping the uh, the underlings um, moving, you know, and keeping them on track, which is which is kind of an interesting character for for him and maybe to a certain extent kind of underutilizing his abilities to a oh, yeah. certain extent. I think anybody listens to this podcast knows exactly how I feel about underutilizing Brad Chase Mark Valley. but <laughs> but actually next week we'll be seeing more of him as he tries a case with the uh, Alan and. Coming that, up in the that episode. ought to be interesting since there's yeah. so much friction between those oh, two. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there'll be lots of opportunities to mock each other. And then, of course, uh, coming up in, I think, episode that's called Gone, Brad's up for a partner. Alan has a problem with that. But moving on to the rest of the storyline, there is someone else that doesn't yet, hasn't yet confronted Alan about <laughs> what case he's taking on. Let's hear from the great OTP, the one true pairing, Denny Crane and Alan Shore, and their little lover's spat. Is it true? You're criticizing the war? 
constructive criticism. What? Alan, I've loved you like a sister. We're Americans to be critical in a time of war. Even the Democrats are smart enough to keep their mouths shut on this. Edward R. Morrow said we should never confuse dissent with disloyalty. Edward R. Morrow is media. And he's dead. Dead don't count. Dead do count, Danny, which is why we're bringing this lawsuit. Drop the case. Do it now. I'm not dropping it, Benny. Alan? I'm senior partner. I'm asking you. Check that. I'm directing you. Drop it. No. Edward R. Murrow reference. Ooh, laying it down. Edward R. Murrow, good night, good luck. He's media. <laughs> so basically <laughs> discount the media. Yeah. I thought it was, you know, an interesting dialogue because what it really did was it put, uh, I think, Alan uh, in clear perspective on how he's viewed in the firm. I, I think he's very highly respected. I mean, if he can stand up to Denny and and deny a senior partner and get away with it, which is exactly what happened, mm-hmm. um, I think it really speaks to his position in the firm. In reality, the friendship. Well, I think that's part of it, but it's also about how how the fact that he's such a good attorney. I suppose. I, I would make a little parallel. I don't even know if I should voice, but it's like once you sleep with your boss. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to really with, be mean to him. You're getting right? away yeah. with more, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move into the court case. I want you all to hear Cassie's testimony. Again, Cassie is the paralegal that is bringing the complaint against the military. The National Guard said they'd pay his tuition for college. He was also told that he'd be safe. Safe? He was going to be a cannon loader, not... One of the guys on the streets. They promised. Then he was reassigned doing the job of an MP guarding a convoy truck. He made a joke that he should have just joined the Boston PD if he was going to travel halfway around the world to become a cop. Cassie, what happened on September 2nd of this year? Jeff's convoy was pulling through a town called Iskanderia. They nearly ran over an IED. It's an improvised explosive device. A bomb. They had to disarm it before the convoy could go on. Jeff didn't have any training in disarming homemade bombs, but it had to be done, and no one else had a clue. He was always like that. You know, he always the one you could count on. He just never should have been there. Okay, but Cassie, he did enlist. You sign up for the military. You have to assume the risk of going to war. His tour of duty was up. Plus, he died doing something he was never trained for. He didn't assume that risk. Nothing further. I like the the hitch at her voice early on in the testimony before she started crying. It was very real. I mean, you know when you're in front of people and you're trying to convey something very emotional and you, you can't quite get your breath? You know, that was that was... Yeah, I think real. she's a very good actress. I think she portrayed that scene very well. It's a very complicated emotional scene. Well, the uh, Denny Allen wrangling doesn't end there. They're preparing for a party later on, which the uh, the two <clears throat> friends have decided they were going to go dressed alike. And Allen walks in on Denny as uh, Denny's pouring himself the nightly scotch. Allen partially in his costume, which if you didn't see the episode, let me tell you. A pink flamingo. Pretty in pink, right? Yeah. 
I'm trying on my Halloween costume. What are your thoughts? I prefer to be alone. Please leave. Why? No reason. If you were to guess at a reason. If I were to guess, I'd say maybe I don't want to socialize with a pinko liberal Democrat commie. Ah. You may think it's patriotic to dissent, and maybe it is. Sometimes. But to sue the army at a time of war is not patriotic. It borders on treason. And I'm disgusted with you. And just so you know, most of the Democrats voted for this war. Chad Kerry voted for it. Hillary Clinton voted for it. And now, suddenly, it becomes unpopular. Say what you will about Republicans. We stick to our convictions, even when we know we're dead wrong. Some might say especially then. It's not funny, Alan. I can't look at you right now. I don't know how you could miss me. Being big and pink. This is how I feel. I don't want to be in your company. Yeah, that was an interesting scene. I like the um, the dialogue from Denny on that one. I it, love talking about his position as being a conservative on this issue. Yeah, and the cadence of his anger. I, I'm telling you, every time I hear this clip, I've heard it like a half dozen times now, where he says like, "Yeah, I don't think," and he's very strident. I hear Captain Kirk. I yeah. hear an angry Kirk. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of neat. Well, of course, it doesn't end there yet. I just had to play all the Denny Allen scenes. This next clip is. Later, when um, when Alan's discussing the case with Garrett and Cassie in the hallway, and he spies through the glass of Denny's office, Denny being fitted for a new costume, a new Halloween costume. It's not a pink flamingo. What's this? My Halloween costume. We were going to be flamingos together. I decided to be a hunter. Leave. Hunters shoot flamingos. Could you excuse us, please? So I think that's the point. Denny, whether or not one agrees with the war... I don't want to talk about it. Why is that? Why does no one want to talk about it? Why can't friends even discuss it? Because you're either with us or against us. And I don't want to talk to people who are against us. Such a sweet thing as is, 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 uh, Denny unfurls his uh, anger at Alan. Alan looks like all sad and he, he starts petting his little pink stomach. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. He's like kind of patting it. He doesn't know what to do with his hands. And he well, just, he doesn't want to get shot. No, he doesn't want to shoot flamingos. Oh, this is really a sad moment. All right, back to the courtroom. Um, want to be fair? Want to play? I'm going to play both closings from both sides. And in this case, I'm also going to play the testimony from the recruiter, too, because it shows the side and explains a lot about the what you've been hearing in this episode, the Try One program, the Stop Loss program. Objection. Sustained. You also mentioned to him something about a Try One program. What's that? Try One is a one-year trial program. If you sign up and you aren't happy at the end of your one-year contract, then you can leave without officially enlisting in the National Guard. And that's what Private Elliott signed up for, correct? Yes, sir. See, this is what confuses me. Private Elliott served out his year, fulfilled his contract, and clearly wasn't happy. Why didn't he just come home? Private Elliott was kept in Iraq under the Stop Loss Program. In case you haven't noticed, we're at war. Yes. Tell me, Sergeant, under this stop-loss program, how much longer had the military planned to keep Private Elliot in the service? Private Elliot's obligation was extended to 2031. Twenty-six years. Did you tell either Mr. Elliot or Mr. Dewey about these contingencies? We're at war, Mr. Shore. 
We need soldiers. Yes, according to our generals and military advisors, we need a lot more than the 140,000 currently over there. Why are we not sending more? Are we trying to win this war or not, Sergeant? It was interesting that um, I also one thing I didn't play was that they explained that the in a previous testimony by someone who had been over there as a National Guard, he's explaining that they have are not given as many items, personal items, and believe it or not, body armor as some of the active military. They have to write to their parents, their friends, their, you know, home to get some mm-hmm. of these essentials. Plus, it's just astounding to me that they they could um, extend a soldier's tour of duty that far into the future. I mean, it was always my understanding that um, tour of duty was like four years at the most. You know, you, and they with the Try One program, like again, they had another um, young recruit get up there. Or actually, he'd gone in sort of undercover to the recruiter's office, mm-hmm. and the recruiter explained to him about the Try One program. You just basically serve one year. And then you can decide and you can like be out, no, you know, no hard feelings, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And yet that can be extended. And then they, you know, I don't know who passed this stop loss program, but it certainly is a, um, was kind of a fraudulent deception, I hate to say it, um, on the soldiers that um, had that happen to them. Well, and there's a lot of background information. If you go to the episode page at boston-legal.org, go to the episode for a uh, page for Witches of Mass Destruction. I link to a lot of um, at military.com and other places about both programs. I think, I think it started uh, even the first Gulf War in '91, and it may have been longer than that. But it's been around, and I just don't know if it's been utilized quite as much. And it's actually um, a couple of years ago taken off for the active military, but not in the case of the National Guard and I think one other group, and I can't remember which. So it's still going on for those guys. Finally, I want to get to the closing argument which is is a little lengthy but it's the full closing of both sides as they try and persuade the judge and i think there were some comments it was very timely that it seems like they wrote in the extra quote in there about uh, 2000 americans now having been killed over there in duty in war any war there are casualties for the family of a victim to sue the army for such a casualty is not only patently ridiculous it's an insult First, it offends the memory of the juror who gave his life to defend his country. Worse, it's an attack on patriotism and the U.S. Army itself. He enlisted. He was trained in combat. He assumed the risks of combat. This lawsuit merely represents a flamboyant attempt to showcase anti-war sentiment. It is wrong. It is baseless. And it's an affront to every soldier, to every veteran who has put himself on the line to defend the United States of America. Especially, primarily, the ones who have given their lives to do so. First, this is hardly about anti-war sentiments. Private Elliott was for the war. Personally, I was against it. Then I was for it. Then I was against it again. But that's just me. I'm a flip-flopper. But whether one is for or against the occupation, and let's assume judging from your tie, one is, that does not exempt the military from a duty to be honest with its soldiers. Private Elliott was told he'd serve a year. He was told he wouldn't see combat. Okay, unexpected stuff happens. He did see combat. Fine. But he was sent into combat with insufficient backup. 
He was sent in to perform duties for which he was never, ever trained. He wasn't given the most basic of equipment. And then, after his tour of duty was finally up, they wouldn't let him leave. He never assumed those risks by enlisting. Overextended, under-equipped, non-trained. He never signed up for that. And now he's dead. And aside from his sister, nobody seems to care. We talk about honoring the troops. How about we honor them by giving a damn when they're killed? Our kids are dying over there. And this country, the people, the media, we all chug along like nothing is wrong. We'll spend a month obsessing about Terry Schiavo, but dare we show a body of a fallen soldier? The most watched cable news station will spend an hour a night on a missing girl in Aruba. But God forbid we pay any attention when kids like Private Elliot killed an action. You're off the point. I'm not off the point. We've had 2,000 American trees fall on that forest over there, and we don't even know it. Not really. But maybe we don't want to know about our children dying. So lucky for us, this war isn't really being televised. We're not seeing images of soldiers dying in the arms of their comrades, being blown apart in the streets of Baghdad. But they are, by the thousands. And all the American public wants to concern itself with is whether Brad and Angelina really are a couple. At least with Vietnam, we all watched and we all got angry. What does this have to do with the death of Private Elliot? Private Elliot is dead in part because we have a people and a government in denial. We currently have no strategy to fight this war. We have no timetable for getting out. Some of these troops could be extended 20-plus years. Their mothers and fathers have to spring for body armor because the army doesn't, and they're getting killed. And we as a nation in denial are letting them. We simply don't seem to care. Well, she does. She's in this courtroom honoring one dead soldier. That's a start. And as he pulled back and went back to his chair, he looked into the back of the courtroom and there was Denny frowning. But he did show up to listen to the closing. Most people in this country do care, I think, about the soldiers dying over there. Um, I think what Alan was speaking of is that it's not reflected in the media as much as it probably should be about what the true reality is over there. But I I think most Americans care, and I I also think most Americans aren't sure what they can do to stop it either. Yeah, there's been a lot of demonstrations continue to be, and really people calling for that. And, of course, the most recent you know, the, the Democrats calling for that closed session. Let's get to the bottom of things. And mm-hmm. But uh, we, we just hope, we hope that the call is heard and that we pull them all out. Oh, I, I know I shouldn't state my position by the end of next year. Well, it's a tough issue because if you pull them out too soon, they could um, – it could plunge that whole country into just chaos. Um, I don't know if that's that would probably that's been going on anyway. I suppose you know it's a tough issue. We've gotten ourselves so far into this that it's hard to just pull out. As John Stewart on the Daily Show says, <laughs> we, we need to just give them a deadline. You know, we're, this is when we're leaving, and then they can they can plan accordingly. Yeah. Well, finally, uh, I, I guess I will say that. And, and Alan will say that here in the next clip that the judge did rule on the side of the military. It was a long shot, but the point is that she had her screams heard. And in the end, when Cassie and Garrett were saying goodbye in the courtroom, he, he did say, Cassie, does this have to be goodbye? And she kind of smiled because, you know, there's a friendship forming there. So Alan does go into Denny's office and, and informs him of the result of the case. We lost. 
if it's any consolation. It isn't. Anybody who truly loves this country, Denny, must at least try to understand the awful truth over there. One of the reasons it's happening over there so it won't happen here. I'm afraid I don't agree with you, Denny. But if Americans can continue to nurture the expression of differing opinions, what's happening over there will never happen here. That's another quote I used a lot in the angry emails. I just said, you know, as Alan said, as long as we can nurture the openness of both having different opinions and accept that, then we will never be like another Iraq. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what everybody has to understand on both sides of the issue. Just let the other speak. Listen to it. Actually consider it. Yeah. And and if you want to debate it, that's fine. But no sense throwing knives. Yeah. Or gasoline. <laughs> well, we're we're all Americans, and just because we we question something that the government um, does doesn't make us not Americans. That's right. I think we all really want the same thing in the end. It's just how we got there and mm-hmm. get there. Moving on to a very small, two little small storylines. I always like to separate these out. Um, the, we'll talk about the Halloween party just a few minutes and the balcony scene. Now the Halloween party. We were leading to that with little glimpses of the costumes, well, actually, <laughs> the the flamingo. And it starts out with just a beautiful song, actually. I want to point out, I also had a several emails from people saying, what's that song? What's that song? I did put it in a, a streaming version of the song on the front page of boston-legal.org. It's You and Me by Lifehouse, that post-grunge group. Hey, one of the, uh, the singers from Seattle. That's where we're from. But uh, this will be a short scene inside of the Halloween party where everybody has a moment to show off their costumes before they move on. What day is it? And in what month This black never seems so I don't think people recognize our costumes. Maybe we should use the accents. The name is Charles and Camilla. I give you my word. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just wanted to feel hot. She came as Condoleezza Rice talking to Cowboy Brad. Tried it on. Look good. Kept it off. Doesn't mean I forgive it. Got it. Denny, you look pretty in pink. Not having sex with you. Just the same. Denny shows up in his pink flamingo. What exactly is our costume again? It's, um, I look good in white tails. Um, right. Garrett and Sarah and, and matching white tails. Thank you. Did I say that? To Alan Shore, you did. Oh, nothing for you. No. Garrett and Cassie exchange a kiss and the party commences. And and everybody, of course, loves that Pretty in Pink <laughs> quote from James Spader. From, uh, obviously, he was in the movie Pretty in Pink. Well, and b- both of the flamingos standing out on the, on the deck. Well, we're going to that right next. Yeah, um, that's what's next. 
What are you thinking about? It's not a trick question. Can I have a solitary, pensive moment? Keep a thought to myself. <laughs> you forgot what you're thinking. <laughs> all you need to know. Put me in charge. I'll win the damn thing. No doubt. You think the army would let two flamingos enlist? Don't ask, don't tell. Most of the cranes in my family were flamingos. Indeed. Indeed. Those costumes were great. They were. They were hilarious. <laughs> they're out there just so you would describe smoking their cigars drinking their scotch and looking out over the scenery of boston skyline <laughs> it was classic and of course most cranes in my family are flamingos i don't know what quite yeah what it is. that was great and of course the best thing is you know alan asking denny his what he's thinking about and denny refuses to answer since you forgot didn't you <laughs> because of the, the mad cow mad cow yeah <laughs> that brings us to the conclusion of the episode fascinating episode um i think it created a lot more a controversy than any other episode and i know that we went back up to hitting our record high every week every wednesday after boston legal tuesday the website sees record numbers i mean we surpass each week last week wasn't we weren't the after men to boys wasn't a record wednesday and then by far this wednesday's site visitors just slammed into us <laughs> it was like slowing down all our other websites a pretty controversial subject yeah. matter in this episode so uh, that's yeah. what's going to happen it is this is usually where we uh, give Abney's good, bad, and the ugly. But once again, I want to remind you to come back to the website, and it will be posted there, his review of the episode. Well, next week we have uh, one called Truly, Madly, Deeply. That's episode number seven. will be on November 8th. I'm just going to play you a little soundbite to get you excited for it. Next on Boston League. How can anyone be afraid of a clown? What's going on? He's afraid of clowns. I am not. Nobody ever said it'd be a costume. It was strategy. Can't move my feet. Obviously, I made a mistake. But I've, I've been a good husband for 23 years. A deacon at our church. <laughs> you, you sleep with one cow. Uh, Mr. Crane, you've been assigned to represent one of our indigent defendants. Thank you for coming in. No can do, judgment. I beg your pardon? Indigent or poor. Hate the poor. Can't pay. Jenny Crane. Next week's episode is, well, not unlike most of the episodes, a reunion time for the Boston Legal folk. Uh, first of all... Susan Rattan will be back. She plays Jeannie Biddle. Jeannie Biddle is the woman that's married to the fellow that um, perhaps becomes a little too loving with a cow. And <laughs> you might remember Susan Rattan, of course, for seven years on L.A. Law. She played Roxanne Melman. Of course, L.A. Law being a David E. Kelly series that he wrote for. And uh, she was nominated for four Emmys and two Golden Globes. Did you realize that? And she actually won Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, uh, for a quality drama series at the Viewers for Quality Television back in 88. So it'd be great to have her back on the set. And Michael McKean plays her husband. We all know him from, oh, so many wonderful things. We'll get to that here in with, with our listener emails because we have someone who commented on Michael McKean being on this episode. And Zozo the Clown, you know, Alan is afraid of clowns and he actually represents 
the television station. So he's against the clown. But he has this fear. I thought, well, that's a familiar ring to it. And anybody who has visited jamesbader.org, the other side I run, will probably have heard the Conan interview. He was on Conan relating uh, his enjoyment of watching National Geographic Channel, Food Channel, and he watched a documentary recently. He ex- described it about a woman's phobia for clowns. She was deathly afraid of clowns. So if you ever want to listen to that 15-minute interview, go to jamesspader.org, click on the videos, find the interview videos, and find the one of many that he's been on Conan. It's just a wonderful interview in general. Also, uh, those of the clowns played by Joel McKinnon Miller. We mentioned this last week because I just, I just love these six degree things. Joel McKinnon Miller was in Dream Lover, which was a movie starring Spader about, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years ago. And, uh, he was also been on Picket Fences and he was in Murphy Brown briefly one episode. I think there's lots of tie-ins there. Definitely go see Dream Lover. That was a, a fine movie that Spader did. Well, we lost Rob during that last soundbite for the episode. He had to run, go to um, participate in a basketball game. But we're going to bring you, well, I'm going to solitarily bring you Parallel Universe, Trek in the Courtroom. If you've listened to this before, you know Deb from Montreal keeps her eye out for parallels between the episodes and Star Trek references. I don't think there's any episode there hasn't been something. Sometimes we may be reaching a little bit, but I've, I've found the two points that she made were fairly interesting. You definitely can go to boston-legal.org forward slash Star Trek and see some of these points laid out and listen to our half hour interview with Deb. She describes a lot of the funny coincidences and we have sound bites to go along with it. Now, as you know, uh, Shore and Crane did not see eye to eye on things in this episode. And that is actually sometimes true for Spock and Kirk tying that in. The pilot episode of Star Trek, if you can remember that, was a two-parter, The Menagerie, and it involved Spock commandeering the uh, ship and risking court-martial. This is one of those not-everything-as-it-seems case. Now, Now I'm reading from Deb's comments about that. Spock defends his actions in a tribunal uh, and eventually proves his moral right. Alan Shore, like Spock, goes against his superior's orders and ends up a morally right argument. And now remember, this is, you know, this is Deb's opinion, not speaking for everybody in general. Even though being morally right in his argument, he's on the wrong side of the law. And in Star Trek, as the proceedings come to an end in the Menagerie episode, the entire court-martial is found to be meaningless and created as an illusion. But it's the friction between Kirk and Spock, which seems to resonate in Alan and Denny. Similarly, not everything as it seems when Shore uses his closing remarks not to support or denounce the war, but to illustrate that the American soldiers are not being supported as they should be in Iraq. His position's neither Democratic or left or Republican, right, but rather just plain human and standing up for one lost man. Spock, in representing the interests of Captain Pike in Star Trek, is neither arguing for or against Starfleet's directive to stay away from Talos IV, but arguing the humanity of the case on behalf of his former captain in order that he may live the rest of his life free from his crippling injuries. So interesting. Thank you very much, Deb, for pointing that out. She had another one, which I thought this I have a couple sound bites to support it. Spock's attributed with two words that he says throughout the series, Star Trek, and in the movies. One is, I think we can all say this together, fascinating. And the other is, indeed. Alan's last word to Denny Crane on the balcony is, indeed. Now, it's maybe not significant all by itself, but his tone, his posture, 
and his voice all at the same timbre when he says it that Deb says she can recall hearing Leonard Nimoy say that. So Spader, Nimoy, similar in how they present it. And she supplied me with a soundbite. Have some tea? Yes, indeed. I find this scientifically fascinating. (laughs) So I don't know if you heard that. If you could draw the parallel. She also makes another point about the Halloween theme in Star Trek, and in particular witches. Now, they've shown up twice in Star Trek. There's a cat who transforms into a gothic-style woman, occurring in at least two of the episodes, Cat's Paw and All Our Yesterdays, where Kirk and Spock and McCoy, Bones, beam to a surface of a planet to rescue a woman um, he hears screaming and ends up transported to a period fraught with superstitions and witchcraft. And here's just a, a little bit from that episode of Star Trek. He's the sovereign seen spirits. He's a witch. You, you heard the voices. It's truth, my lord. I heard the spirit talk to him. He answered and did call it bones. Called it bones. I like that. Moving on from Trek in the courtroom, and please let me just put out a call. If you uh, notice any of these things that maybe we haven't, email us, bostonillegal at gmail.com. I just like to, well, frankly, pull in the Star Trek community out there as well. Boston Legal News this week, as we mentioned last week, but it's a reminder, William Shatner will be a guest on the Tony Danza show. It's a talk show. That's Monday, November 7th. So hopefully you haven't missed that. If not, I'm going to grab it and offer it right on our website at boston-legal.org. A little update again on the scheduling of the future shows. We've got only two episodes yet to air this month in November and then two weeks off. So the November 22 and 29th, last two weeks in November, will be preempted for the American Music Awards. And then Barbara Walters presents the 10 most fascinating people of 2005. Now, that'd be all right if... Two of the ten were Spader, Shatner, oh, you know, Bergen or Valley or anybody. Kyle's usually here to give you the ratings. You got me this week. For November 1st, the ratings for Witches of Mass Destruction, they again came in ahead of Close to Home at the 10 o'clock hour. That's on CBS. Um, hey, I interviewed the star of Close to Home. You can, uh, I should post that. But, you know, she's a fascinating person. I enjoyed that. I have not, I've yet to see an episode because what can I say? It's on opposite Boston Legal. Boston Legal tied for fifth place. And then the adults, 18 to 49, the prime demographic, tied for ninth. Unfortunately, when you look at last week's episode, we didn't do as well as we did last week. Last week, the general viewership tied for fourth place. And then the 18 to 49 tied for eighth place. So one step up from this week's episode. But, you know, that's not really indicative of, of anything. You have to look at the overall picture. You just have to look at what what's... Uh, What's on opposite and everything, um, we did come in after SVU, but that's not necessarily unheard of. So I think we're still around 11 million viewers. Definitely call your friends, have them watch. It's it's a great show, as you know, if you're listening to this. Quick updates on the Boston Legal website. Just let you know, the transcription for the entire episode of Witches of Mass Destruction is up. These are in PDF form. I'm just doing that just to sort of semi-protect if I can, you know, the concept of, well, they're not my words, they're... They're the words of David E. Kelly, and, and his ownership belongs to him. But I do see this week that someone has, there's a script site out there that, you know, lists all these TV and movie scripts, and now they're pointing to us. So I don't know if we can keep it a secret just amongst us that much longer. But I'm a mess. 
actually listens to the audio. She's in Canada, so she doesn't act- and she doesn't actually get Boston Legal. And she, I've never seen a bigger fan of Boston Legal, so she relies on on me to sort of get her episodes to watch. So I send her the, you know, within the hour after the slide, I send her the audio of it, and she transcribes like crazy from the audio. And then she, when she can watch the show, when I send it to her, she um, will fill in the actual descriptions of what's happening besides the dialogue. Fascinating reading. I love it. Also, we have video of Spader's appearance on Regis and Kelly this last week. He was on there on November 3. And I actually have a clip from that interview. And I just want to preface it by saying Regis started out the interview with the tired, tired, generic, boring question. I was rolling my eyes and went, no, of you seem to get the dark rolls, James Spader. What is behind that? Well, you know, okay. Yeah, he's he's maybe looking at some movies that he did before, but can I just say, speaking of sex, like one of the most hilarious roles that James Spader did, just wonderful movie. I really like it. And uh, of course, Alan Shore, that's not a dark role. I mean, there's aspects of it. So Regis, have your researchers do some digging and get some more interesting questions. But nonetheless, this is in part Spader's answer and his comments about some of the writers at Boston Legal. It's been the same with movies and television. I like playing characters that, or or or, uh, or p- p- playing around with things that I just have no exposure to in my own life. Well, that would be the dark side, yeah, then, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But suppose they came to you and said, "How about playing a comedian, mm-hmm. uh, a light guy, a funny guy?" That would be I, interesting. You know, I have old friends of mine that are comedian, and they all—that's all they do—is explore the dark side of life. That's right. I mean, well, you comedians know, can be very oh, dark. Yeah. The darkest. I, yeah. I mean, I know, and, and like, for instance, we, uh, we've got some very, very funny writers on the show, you know, we're very comedian. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're in, in person, and during the course of every day, it's always sort of dark and gloomy. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, That's I mean, it's... That's funny. I don't know, maybe some of the writers, <laughs> you don't anger the writers of your show. But hey, if he speaks the truth... That's okay. Um, <laughs> and he went on to talk about his really, really good friend, Jerry Seinfeld, is always sort of dark and, and looking at those contrasts of America, of life. And the rest of the interview is fairly fascinating as, as well. So watch that right from the website. Now I come to your part of the show. Um, I actually have five calls I'm going to play, so uh, enjoy them. And a couple emails. Uh, we definitely want to hear from you if you have any fun, exciting comments after the show that you've watched about the show. Um, the livelier, the better. The positive is always good. But, you know, as I'm going to demonstrate here, if it's if you have a negative opinion, I'm not afraid to play it. Uh, if you have a favorite actor in the show or a favorite sequence or a favorite scene or a dream guest that you might want to see on the show, we'll play that too. Anything you, you want to say. Can't say I'm going to get them all in the air. Sometimes I get more than I really have time for. Uh, definitely call the number at 1-800-986-8290. It's on the front page of the website as well. And that's toll-free in the U.S. You won't get us. It's just a voicemail. Also, you can email your comments to bostonillegal at gmail.com. I'll try and answer them fairly quickly. I'm not going to get into the lively discussion that happened on our website. I have a small, tiny little comment section that's right above the recent news area on the front page. And... And this is in lieu of a website, of, and this is in lieu of a message board, which, oh man, I think I just need to put one up. But I'm frankly, I, the chaos that's over at the ABC website message board and, and other things I've heard, just, I just don't want a lot of fighting and silliness on there. I just, I just want good discussion. So we'll see. I'm, I just, I've just been really dragging my heels. I'm not um, launching it, but there is that comment section, and there's, I don't know, there's probably, I caught like 30 comments there right after the episode, pro and con 
quite an interesting debate going on. So definitely go read that if you want to. Just click on the comments button and you can read the last 30, 40 comments or so. A call out to the website, crooksandliars.com. They link to my website. And so I got a lot of traffic from them. They'd put up a, a blog entry, Alan Shore for Congress, and put up, I think, the full text and the video of his closing argument, crooksandliars.com. A very popular website. So I got a call from Peggy from Atlanta. We'll start out with the positive. Hi, I just saw the newest um, episode of the Boston Legal about the witch of Massachusetts and then the destruction in Iraq. And I just want to say that this is the first TV show to broadcast the subject of the war and how it is patriotic to oppose the war. I think they did a great, marvelous job. I was very, very proud of the courage it must have taken to put that on television. And I really want to thank them. Uh, This is Peggy Sloten in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you. Thank you, Peggy. And now, it's interesting that the negative calls, they didn't really want to give me their name. So this is a a man with a very brief comment. really disappointed about your radical left-wing views on the Iraq war. I used to like your show. All right. Well, that was all right. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, man of mystery. Uh, then a, a woman called, also not identifying herself, with her opinion of which is a mass destruction. Your show that aired on November the 2nd was very offensive to me, and I am livid. It had such a liberal bias and bordered on outrageous. I was a big fan of your show until November the 2nd. I will not watch it ever again. I am appalled at what James Spader spewed out of his mouth during the last 15 minutes of your show. Your script came right out of all of the Democratic talking points as if we were listening to George Soros and Michael Moore or Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid. Ever since you brought Candace Bergman to the show, we started to see political overtones. Last year, it was just a hint. Now, this year, it's an elephant. Murphy Brown is gone. It's not the 80s. And you Hollywood people need to realize that over 50% of this country is conservative. So 50% of your audience is conservative. The majority of Americans are no longer liberal and democratic. Now you've offended over 50% of your audience with your liberal, democratic view. I hope this will be the show's demise. Just for your information, the United Nations, Britain, France, Russia, China, Bill Clinton, and John Kerry all said Iraq had WNDs. It isn't a George Bush lie. Freedom is not free. I thank God every day that America still has millions of brave young volunteers who are willing to put their lives on the line for our safety and our freedom. Your slanted and distorted view of our military is a lie and borders on treason. You should all be ashamed. And by the way, William Shatner's portrayal of a Republican is the poorest that's ever graced the screen. You know, I wanted to comment point by point, but I don't think I need to. Elephant, this episode, this season is more of an elephant as far as political propaganda, or or is that a donkey? I'm not sure. I kind of like what what dialogue spews out of the mouth of the the actors. And I definitely don't disagree with you on the whole, uh, you know, we really appreciate all the volunteers that are, God, sacrificing themselves. I mean, the the discomfort, the heat, the cold, the the sand, it's everybody that's doing that is not comfortable. They're being away from their family and they're facing the most gut-wrenching situations every day. And I support them. And that's why I think we all want to bring them home. And another man anonymously heard from. I'm calling 1-800-986-8290 about the Boston Legal Show. I've been watching the show ever since it started. After last night's episode, I'm never going to watch this thing again. This is the biggest bunch of propaganda and nonsense I've ever seen. There's a lot of other better stuff on TV. You just lost a, you just lost a viewer and probably a lot of 
others too, if you even care. They don't seem to understand, the last three calls don't seem to understand that, you know, they, they're saying you have, and I, this is not me, I'm just a, a girl running a website, a fan site. Again, maybe your voice is getting heard by people over at uh, com. I don't know, but anyway, it's not me, it's not my fault. <laughs> and Anne from Houston had something to add to the discussion. Hi, this is Anne Murphy in Houston. I just wanted to say that your October 25 closing scene was a classic. I really enjoyed the the whole episode, but that last scene was absolutely classic. Thank you. Ah, October 25. So this was a comment back to Men to Boys. So thank you. And we actually have another caller that's talking about the Men to Boys episode from the previous week. Well, we just want to comment on this last show, Men to Boys. Uh, we love this program, but this was uh, a real loser. I don't know who wrote this. It, it doesn't sound like Kelly wrote this, but the sleazy sex scenes had no business to be in this program. First of all, it had no relevance, and it was crude and, and awful, and so are the actors who portrayed them. And even the, the, the dinner date with Alan Shore and Sarah didn't make any sense. She is certainly, she may be young, but she's not even an attractive black lady. What, that he would ask her to, to have dinner it sounds very desperate. I, I think this whole show was a real loser. It was, was the worst I've ever seen. Thank you. Okay, the actress that plays Sarah Holt, that's Ryan Michelle Bath, is a beautiful woman. So I disagree with you there. Uh, it wasn't a sleazy scene. It was you know, what happens, I guess, you know, when people are working together, when they sleep together, like the Garrett and Cassie, it happens. As you can see, we air all opinions. Uh, that's it for the calls, but I did get a lot of emails. Oh, man, it was hard just to pick a couple. But I will go ahead and tell you about Butch from San Antonio, Texas. He says, ever since you brought on Candace Bergen, your, your show, my show, has taken on an un-American attitude. The show tonight was a Cindy Sheehan, Democratic Party, anti-American attempt at degrading our military. You are traitors. And that's the second person now to blame, I guess, this on Candace Bergen. I don't understand that. Frankly, in Murphy Brown, she just had a story where she had a baby and she wasn't married. It was the vice president at the time that took it public and kind of started the political ball rolling on that. So, hey, I, you know, it's not Candace. Candace Bergen is there to portray a character my impression is David E. Kelly does not let anybody change the script. These are his words. They read his words. I, I remember hearing actually Shatner relate about uh, wanting to change one of his lines in the, remember the first episode of Black Widow when he said, uh, she's wicked. I love it. And he wanted to say, I think originally it might've even been written. She's nasty. And I love it. And Shatner lobbied for, I like the nasty part, not rather than the wicked part. And David E. Kelly says, no, you're saying it is wicked. It has connotations for further in the episode, which, you know, obviously was about her <laughs> guilt or innocence. Anyway, I digress. I did respond. To, I responded to everybody. And I, I thought it was a very, you know, neutral. I believe, you know, I understand your side. And, you know, just you want to be nice to these people. Again, like I mentioned before, I brought in that the character of Brad Chase, Mark Valley, that the character actually spoke um, for his side and eloquently stated it. And I think the Shore also eloquently stated that it doesn't matter, you know, really what you believe, just as long as you can express yourself. And that's what he was promoting um, and thought that the episode was entertaining and thought provoking. And his reply was <laughs> brief, typical ABC Peter Jennings attitude. 
anti-American. He <laughs> almost sounded like a, like a Denny dialogue. So I don't know. I get that kind of stuff sometimes. Craig McIntosh says, I watch your show faithfully since it began. My show, once again. Thank you very much. And I found it to be a blast and fun to watch. But after watching your pathetic liberal agenda episode with The Fallen Soldier, I will never watch the series ever again. And no one in my household will. Also, I'll spread the word to friends and family and see how many I can persuade to avoid the program. Again, you have proven the theory that Hollywood is out of touch with mainstream America. Oh, and by the way, if we wanted to get our left-wing political programs, we'd watch CNN. Yeah, I heard that a lot. You know, I, I watch the news for the news. I watch entertainment shows for it to be entertained. And, you know, frankly, hey, we, it's, <laughs> as the New York Daily News put out um, an article last week, people don't necessarily tune into the news. It's okay to get scripted dramas to give us some of the information that we might want to need to know. I think far more people, 11 million, 12 million, watch Boston Legal than, they, than maybe does watch 6 a.m. meet the press. That's my opinion. And... I guess I always find it sort of ironic that people who don't like something will lobby really hard for all their, they'll threaten to lobby that their friends and family will also stop watching it, kind of boycott. Because isn't that kind of as un-American as you can get to sort of pressure people not to do what they want to do? So I, I just, okay. And then in the comment section, I do want to read one comment we got in the comment section of our boston dot org website that i mentioned earlier we heard from isabel she says every single person who's watched this show regularly and decided to not watch it anymore because of this episode is the most unpatriotic anti-american person who i guess really don't care about the soldiers but hey that's what's great about this country you are free to have an opinion and state it on here i hate what's happening and i love that i can express it here or, or anywhere i want it's one of the few beauties left in the u.s we should always be aware of what's happening no matter where you are no matter what you're doing, because people are dying. And the men and women fighting over there, they do not have the option of tuning it out like most of us choose to do. They're always there, and they don't get to just turn on a TV program and ignore what's happening. These are real people, and they're dying. And if you want to call yourself American, you need to care, not just when you turn on the news, but always. Oh, that was really well stated, Isabel. I appreciate that. Now, turning away just a moment from that episode and looking forward to the next one, got an email from Karen, Karen O'Shea. She says next week's episode of Boston Legal, uh, the listing says that Michael McKean's character has sex with dot, dot, dot. Um, she doesn't want to fill it out. I won't give away any spoilers at that point. But she says, I did see him as Edna in Hairspray last May and also encourages us to go check out Disc 5 of Alias Season 4 DVD set. He did a great job as Atticus Little. In the episode of Clean Conscience and Mirage. I thought that was interesting, Atticus Little, because he plays Biddle in Boston Legal and he was Little in Alias. Now, she says, I hope that he returns to Smallville as Perry White. McKean did a film that David E. Kelly wrote. You might want to check out Mystery Alaska. And now, and I missed that film, so we should go rent it. He played Mr. Walsh opposite Russell Crowe and Burt Reynolds. And I responded to her, Hey, you know, McKean, he'll always be Morris Fletcher to me. That was the. Um, X-Files Fox Mulder doppelganger. He's great. I love that one. But yeah, Lenny. Lenny is dead. I think he's moved well past Laverne and Shirley. That brings us to the end of a rather lengthy show, but we just had a lot of sound bites and we really loved Witches of Mass Destruction. But definitely tune in next week. Boston Legal Tuesdays. It's on at 10 o'clock, 9 if you live in the central area. Season 2, Episode 7 is Truly Madly Deeply. Thank you so much to Rob, wherever you are, as you're driving up to your basketball game. Thank you for pitching while we were missing Abney. 
definitely come look for his review that he'll write up and post on boston-legal.org. You know where to email us. You know where to call us. It's all right on the website. Boston Illegal here and now is brought to you by Forest Rain Studios right here in Seattle, Washington, and the unofficial website, boston-legal.org. And until next time, remember, every one of you, all of you, look great. What day is it? And in what month this clock never seems so alive. It was always like that. Always the one you could count on. I can't keep up and I can back down. I've been losing so much. We've had two thousand American trees fall on that forest over there. Cause there's you and me and all other people nothing to do. Nothing to lose And it's you and me And all other people And I don't know why I can't keep my eyes off of you Here's all you need to know Put me in charge I'll win the game No doubt What are the things That I want to say Just aren't coming alright I'm tripping on you got my head spinning, I don't know. As somebody who served in the Gulf War proudly, when you disrespect our soldiers, you disrespect me. Cause it's you and me, and I.